0: hey everyone welcome back to well then a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first i'm your host megan sharer today i'm really excited to welcome a guest to our show who is not only a celebrated yoga teacher but a friend of mine as well Lauren house Lauren has decades of experience as a yoga teacher and licensed clinical therapist. She guides people in embodied healing to alchemize personal and intergenerational pain. She works with the body, the mind, and the spirit to transform lives and guide individuals into their highest, most authentic expression. Lauren works with cutting-edge technology in her approaches, most recently certified by MAPS to use MDMA for treatment-resistant complex trauma cases. She leads transformational wellness experiences worldwide, and most recently, Lauren launched a deeper investigation into the divergent communities of the Holy Land through her podcast, Embodied Life. There's so much I'm excited to explore with Lauren today and can't wait for you guys to hear from her. So thank you, Lauren, for being here, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. I um. No, we were just chatting before the show that it's been a while since we've gotten to connect in person. Um, so it's really nice to to get to connect this way and hear some of the incredible adventures that you've been up to lately.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm excited to share them.
0: Yeah, before we dive into some of... Um, the things that you've been um, up to and what's been present for you lately, I'd love to just kind of give some context and have you share um, a little bit about your yoga journey. Um, if you don't mind telling us, like, how old were you when you first found yoga and, and how did you find it, or how did it find you, rather?
1: Sure. Well, I think yoga is the, the fountain of youth. I am 37 years old, and I don't think you would guess that if you just met me. Definitely uh, not. I'm <laughs> And I've been practicing yoga now for 19 years. I, wow. yeah, it's a long time. I started um, when I was 18 and I went with my sister-in-law at the time and it was it was a yoga fit class. It was like a hot power workout type of class. And, and I was looking at the time for a workout. Like I, I wasn't looking for spirituality, I wasn't looking for wellness, I wasn't looking for connection, and I got all those things. (laughs) I got all those things Um, immediately. That's pretty incredible.
0: I I feel like a lot of times people start yoga for the physical practice, the physical asana, and it's a while before they realize that it's so much more than just a physical practice. So that's pretty cool that you realize that right away.
1: It is. And at the time I was, I was hungry on a number of levels. I was a very anorexic 18 year old and I was starving for deeper connection. I was starving for a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of safety in my body. And I remember my first mat practice and feeling my body breathe, maybe for the first time and feeling that I was a part of something much bigger than the vessel I was spending time in um, and then also getting immediately a sense of reverence for, for the body and, and a sense of appreciation for this vehicle that allows me to experience life. The practice like opened up for me a desire to be here in a new mm-hmm. way. And I keep getting that every time I step onto the mat and it's why I, I step onto it probably every day.
0: So having practiced for 19 years, I can imagine that your connection, your relationship to your mat and your relationship to your practice has evolved a lot over the years. What has that kind of evolution looked like for you at different points in time?
1: It's a good question. I definitely use yoga as exercise still. It's my primary form of fitness and it feels good. Like, So there are times when I really want to Up level, what this body can physically do. I want to challenge it. I want to like push it. I want to do the tricks. I want to get into calisthenics. I want to do the handstands. And then there are times where my practice is, is much slower. You know, I've had periods where I've been injured and the injuries have slowed me down and asked me to be quiet and asked me to relax. And at this point, the intention is is both is to continuously grow and play and be big in my body but also to really practice every day a, a quiet a surrender a letting go to what is um but i definitely think that the practice can grow with you i've i've taught children um in elementary schools i've taught the elderly i've, I've taught you know i had a group in New York, they were in their nineties. We did, you know, a chair practice. And it was so funny to watch these older women with their minds and, and get they would they would get competitive. They would <laughs> like, hey <again>, guys <it's> like, <laughs> let's come back to the next inhale. <laughs> <laughs> That's too um, cute. It it is cute. It is cute. And and the kids are adorable. And then of course I've I've taught a lot of uh, athletes and um really healthy, wealthy individuals. And I've taught in the American prison system. Yoga is, is for everybody. Um, I've personally struggled with the ways in which yoga in America has become such a visual practice. Um, for me, the, the biggest gift that I get from my yoga is, is the shift from external to internal, from thinking to feeling, mm-hmm. from doing to being. And so much of the industry that I'm a part of is, is more focused on what it looks like.
0: Right. Oh, especially with this age of social media.
1: Ooh, yeah, I don't know how to play that game that well as a 37-year-old, but I want to try. It's a powerful platform
0: it really is and you know hopefully it is inviting more people into the community than it is deterring but i think you're absolutely right there are so many people who do feel hesitant to to start or try yoga for the first time because they feel like it's not for them yeah. and i love what you just shared because in that you know one sentence you Span the range of children to elderly to people in prison to athletes—like literally anybody of any age and ability can do yoga, and most importantly, can benefit from it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I I I just love reiterating that to anybody who's listening. Um, You know, I'm assuming you already have an interest in wellness and yoga if you're listening to this. But if you don't and if you haven't tried it before, you know. I think we would both definitely encourage you to get started.
1: Yes. What,
0: what yeah. would you recommend to somebody who is just starting out in their practice?
1: I would suggest going to as many different classes and teachers as you like. I mean, the bar is really low for people to be teaching. And I think that's also somewhat of a, a challenge to the community. Like, it's, like, real easy to become a yoga teacher. So just... a a single experience isn't necessarily the one that's going to resonate with you and keep looking for, for what really fits for what lands in you and and makes you alive because this practice should ignite your soul. This practice should like excite you. This practice should, should ground you. This practice is, is, is for everybody. Mm,
0: I love that. All right, there is some like really juicy stuff that you've been up to that I would love to dive into. Um, I would love to first start with, you know, sharing a little bit about the work that you've been doing in Israel and what you've been up to there, and and what how your mission has kind of
1: evolved. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. It's a it's my passion for sure, Uh, and I think that as an American with a Jewish background. I identify a slice of earth as the Holy land. And I think that culturally, whether you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, like this land is hypercharged. Hmm. I believe as well that it's a mirror for all of us and that we all live in Holy lands in these bodies. Hmm. I also think that the complexities and the challenges that face Israel and Palestine are ones that we face individually. And my efforts are to create more unity, to widen the the story, to become more inclusive, to be so inclusive that it can hold seemingly rival stories. And while I want to do that in Israel, like I want to do that in my body. And I want to encourage my students and my community to do that. So... I mentioned before that I've, I've worked in, in the prison system and I think that like gang violence is some one of like my real passions uh, in terms of like helping to arrest that kind of activity. And I'm aware that like when I started my yoga practice, like I was a total terrorist inside of my own system. and And I was on a mission to self-destruct. And in my neighborhood, like there are gangs that are literally killing each other and they're like scared children, like acting violently. Nations operate the same way as like gangs, like nations just have fancier weapons. And my efforts and intentions are really about arresting violence by learning to like sit with the parts of us that are so uncomfortable that we want to kill them.
0: Hmm. How does, how does somebody go about doing that? Like, what is the first step to
1: just sitting with those parts of yourself? Slowing down, breathing, watching before, before responding. So it's like, so we move into the field of, of conscious creation. We're stepping away from like the knee jerk reaction, which is where so many of us are operating and, and we're creatures designed for, for survival. So we, we, should be grateful that we remember how to walk and we remember how to speak and use the bathroom and sleep and all these things. But we also have a lot of maladapted defense mechanisms. And in order to shift them, we need to be aware that they're there. So we need to like really, really, really slow down and watch. So what happens when you get triggered? What happens when you make a mistake? What happens when someone presents something to you that you don't like?
0: Right. And how can you, once you start to observe those patterns, then maybe interrupt them and shift them to something more empowering.
1: Exactly. And something that will like, allow you to feel good at night when you go to sleep. Right.
0: How do you personally in- incorporate those mindfulness-based habits? Is it like a daily meditation practice? Is it journaling? Is it just constantly being in that state of observation and curiosity?
1: Well, I'm human. So right. oh, <laughs> bummer. <laughs> yeah, right? Well. Fortunately, I'm human, which means I get to fall in love with the space between where I am and where I want to be. And I, as a therapist, as a yogi, as someone who's been engaged in the field of personal development for a long time, I have a big toolkit. And some of like my key tools that I try to pick up every day, or at least a few of them are yoga, meditation, service. So like doing something nice for somebody else, just because like fill someone else's uh, car meter or, or buy them a coffee or give them a compliment or make more eye contact, hold the door open. Like small acts of service go such a long way. Mm-hmm. Gratitude, mantra, um, there's a whole list of things. I, I try to do at least two to three a day and whatever's kind of calling me gets the, gets to get done. Uh, the more I do, the better I am and the better I am, like the more I have to offer. So the service that we do internally is really, really a service externally because they're not disconnected. Right.
0: Right. That work is it starts on an individual level and it's so important to first examine yourself and to first work on yourself. And then the fact that you've taken it to the community and then the global level is truly incredible. So I'm curious, like then beyond, you know, once once you've really looked at yourself and figured out what those habits and patterns and routines are that you can be in every day, you know, two to three times or more a day. How did you then translate that to your work in Israel and Palestine? And and what does it look like to try to bring those kinds of awarenesses to a community?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, as humans, we all have blind spots, right? So I realized as someone who has spent a lot of time in Israel, that I didn't know the other side. I didn't know the stories. I didn't know their names. I didn't know the people. And I felt irresponsible not knowing especially because I lead trips to Israel I lead experiences in the Holy Land and there was this other giant part of the story that I hadn't heard so I went out to 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 educate myself and in doing so I confronted a lot of of my own um, rigidity my own walls my own you know belief systems that had been passed down to me culturally from my family etc and and i had to like soften there and these like edges i just soften not easy and i think that's the only way we can entertain even the idea of more peaceful possibilities and again for me this is all very much personal, collective, collective, personal. Like the interplay between the two is, is profound. So when I'm looking at my own collective, like the Jewish collective, I have to understand that, that our collective psyche is riddled with trauma. And how is this trauma impacting our behavior? Or how is it impacting our engagement with the other? How is it affecting our ability to hear? And it's complicated, like it's there, I I think that we need to, I believe also in individual and collective boundaries, that they are the things that allow for, for profundity, you know, for, for power, for depth. And at the same time, like how, how do we open our hearts?
0: What, what an important question. That should be the most important question. I think when we wake up each day is how can I open my heart more?
1: Yeah. And, and again, so in, the, in this business of observing oneself, notice what happens when you step into the fields of judgment. You, everything constricts.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So along those lines too, I'm, I'm really curious to dive in when you're working with people who um, are, have experienced more intense or complex trauma, Um, you know, we we talked about earlier that you've been recently certified and exploring using MDMA to treat Mm -hmm. those trauma cases. Mm -hmm. What does that look like?
1: Well, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, is doing some really pioneering work globally around plant medicine. I was blessed to train in their MDMA assisted therapy for complex PTSD in Israel. And it was an incredible experience. Um, I haven't yet stepped into uh, a practice room with the medicine, uh, although I am trained to do so and intend to do so soon. We're just now in the expanded access. So there's a lot of like um, gates to to open and and hoops to fly through before um, administering the medicine. However, when you're working with the mind and therapy is, is often very mental, like it's limited and the body holds the score. There's a lot of research around issues are in the tissues. The body remembers the the trauma lives in the nervous system. It's in your heart rate. It's in your, in your um, breath patterns, which of course are connected. So in order to begin to really shift these, these primary wounds, especially when they have happened over a prolonged period of time, you need to like soften the nervous system so that a person has the wherewithal to go to the site of the accidents, to the site of the, of the of pain and trauma, and re-experience it, and imagine, re-understand, integrate. The results are astounding, and I think that having it in a clinical format is really important uh, because it, there are protocols for maintaining the, the work. Uh, a lot of times with plant medicine, which I, I very much believe in plant medicine, but there isn't any supportive systems that will help a person after they've experienced it, which is really when the work happens. Hmm. Is
0: this now, is it typically like a one-time experience like the psychedelic is administered once um, or is it multiple times over a course of a period of time?
1: Yeah, there are, the protocol is for several experiences with the medicine preceded by a number of clinical sessions and clinical sessions in between the medicine. So you're supported before you're getting prepared before you have a medicine experience and then you get more support in terms of the integration. What happened? Like how do we, you know, bolster your skills at home and in your life and at work so that you can continue along, along this new pathway, another medicine experience, therapy, 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 another medicine experience. Okay.
0: So obviously the support and the therapeutic component is a huge differentiating factor, but for people listening, how, how does this specific protocol differentiate from just like going and taking, you know, psychedelics on your own?
1: Wow. Uh, that's such an important question. Thank you for asking. I, I think, Megan, that people are really using um, plant medicine in ways that are beautiful and in ways that are really irresponsible at, at, right now. Mm-hmm. I think people are using plant medicine, which is sacred medicines. To check out, uh, sometimes even meet people, you know, at parties. Mm. Set and setting, the container is everything. Who you're with, who's administering whatever medicine, how experienced and adept they are with their own work, like how how clear a container is your facilitator. You know, for ayahuasca, for example, there's people that are like dishing it out in apartments in New York and L.A. and I, you know, Someone who's adept at serving ayahuasca has done this hundreds and hundreds of times. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of training that's required. Um, I think that a person needs to be really checked in with themselves to be clear about whether they're called to participate in this type of work. Are they escaping? Are they going in? Is it a checking out or is it a checking in? Mm,
0: yeah, what an important question.
1: And so, to be clear, I also think that medicine experiences can happen outside of the clinical space and be deeply, deeply healing. I just want to be clear that set and setting is everything. And the training of the facilitator is everything. Like you really make sure you do your homework before you jump into a medicine space
0: right so if somebody is interested in learning more connecting with a facilitator where like where can they go to find somebody um, who really knows their stuff and is certified and credentialed
1: wow well this is really pioneering work still in the usa and in other countries in terms of it being part of the clinical sphere definitely check out maps maps maps.org there's lots of information there around what's happening. There's also plenty of incredible clinicians, um, who are doing this work. Gabor Mate is one of them. Um, Tim Ferriss is part of a lot of big research right now. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. He was actually at my, my training in, in Israel with maps and, uh-huh. and he doing a lot of the, of funding and research and, um, sharing of information on his podcasts there are facilitators globally who are excellent i would just you know do the research
0: yeah yeah it's so important to really with anything whether it's yoga or you know plant medicine or anything new that you're diving into i think it's so important to to do plenty of research and really find what resonates best with you
1: mhm and trusting your intuition. Like I consider intuition divine direction and your intuition is often going to tell you information that you're not going to like. Sure. <laughs> right. Like, and we tend yeah. to override. We're going to like, nah, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. Like, and what happens is like, we mean, t- we a, when we ignore our intuition, we tell ourselves that we're not worth listening to. We deplete our our trust within our own system and we maintain dysfunctional habit patterns that create pain and suffering for ourselves and others because that your your pain and suffering doesn't exist in a vacuum like when you start to align with your intuition the universe responds very quickly and and it'll surprise you with so much goodness but you're going to have to do things that are like not fun that are not like, you know, you may not be able to go to all the parties, you might not be able to like, you know, drink certain things, or eat certain things, or um, stay in certain relationships, (laughs) like, you know, your intuition will guide you beautifully. And, and it's a deep listening. So for me, going back to yoga, I get to listen, like yoga for me, at its at its essence is a listening practice and a return practice. It's like a homecoming every time. Mm,
0: I love that. I actually just shared something about that recently, how every time, even if it's been a while and I've taken some time off my mat for whatever reason, when I step back on, it feels like coming home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the plant medicine should do the same thing. It should peel away the layers of inauthenticity, all the layers of people pleasing, of approval seeking, of you know, the obsession with looking good and whatever else you've got going on that's like obstructing the expression of your, of your truest self. And, and then you get to taste your, your own like divine nectar. Mm. Mm, what a, what a juicy way to put it. I right? Like that. right? Yes. And, yes. And, then, and like when you show up that way, it's so unmistakably powerful and beautiful. Like, like the universe is like vibrating through you. you and that's more- when you start, yeah, like those
0: synchronicities start rolling in.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, I love, I love that we're, you're sharing those like practical ways to actually do that. Cause it's one thing to say, you know, like listen to your intuition and connect more to your, your divine self. But then a lot of times people are left with, okay, but how, yeah. and you know, yoga can be the how meditation can be the how plant medicine can be the how, like there are so many different things. Just Another just like, couple of yeah.
1: hows I've been super into these days are like dancing get dancing. I mean, yoga I've been practicing as you know, for 19 years, dance is like not formulaic. It's not a warrior too. It's not a down dog. It's like awkward sometimes. (laughs) You know, I get to like free my rib cage and like, just like, stop. Like I know how to do yoga moves. Yeah. Dance is so freeing. And if you really want to, like, if you watch someone, what, what makes a sexy, beautiful dance move is commitment. Right, and not being inhibited. Yeah. Just going for it. Like, there are, like, amazing dancers, and then there's dancers that are just in it, and, like, they still look great because they're, like, committed.
0: Right. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's that just confidence in what you're doing that shines through.
1: Yeah, so dancing. Sometimes I have to, like, yell. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get that energy out somehow. Yeah, like, because there's a lot of shit that I yell about. And, it can be
0: yeah, such a healing practice to just right? like get that stuck energy out yelling whether it's in your car or into a pillow or mm-hmm. whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Take a boxing class, like mm. get a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's actually the perfect segue. I always love
0: wrapping up with, you know, in addition to yoga and the other um, habits that you've shared about, what is one other wellness habit or practice that you absolutely swear by and can't live without? It can be anything from nutrition to a daily practice, anything at all.
1: Hmm. I mean, I would have to say a daily practice of gratitude, you know, what you focus on grows. Uh, When in doubt, focus out, like, and be grateful for the good in the world. There's so much of it. I've been, I mean, there was probably 10 consecutive years where I wrote a gratitude list every night before I went to sleep. I have a giant piece of art in my home that says gratitude. I'm still pretty consistent in writing out the good every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Be grateful. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, that's perfect and, and beautiful. And like enough said, just be more grateful.
1: Yeah,
0: life is good. Isn't it?
1: Uh
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Thank you. Um, Where else can people find you if they want to follow your journey, what you're up to, learn more about you, attend your events, things like that?
1: Where can they find you? You can find me on my website, embodied.life. It's I-N because it's all about the journey inward. And you can find me on my podcast on iTunes or on Spotify. It's embodied life. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm Lauren.taus T-A-U-S. And yeah, I'm probably gonna start teaching again sometime soon, regular classes. So you can find me there. Um and yeah, please stay in touch. I've got some fun retreats coming up, some fun workshops in New York, in Israel, in LA, and um I'd love to see you.
0: Beautiful. We will make sure to link all of that information in the show notes for everybody who's listening. So definitely go follow Lauren and keep up with her. And if you get the chance, take one of her classes or go to one of her retreats because it's Mm. such a special experience. And I I love being in Lauren's classes. Mm. They're so transformational.
1: Thank you. I love having you there. (laughs) Thank
0: you. And thank you so much for coming on today. There is so much more that we can chat about and dive into. So we'll have to do more episodes in the future. Um, Anytime. Good. Okay. This was so much fun. Thank you again, Lauren, for coming on. And thank you everybody for listening. And as always, hope you have a happy and healthy day. Until next time.